0: All right, you ready for the word this morning? I'm excited, you know, to share with you a brand new series uh, which we call the be attitudes or the be happy attitude. Now, if you were to ask people what they want in life, I think many would tell you that they just want to be happy. Have you heard of that before? What do you want in life most people say I just want to be happy. The pursuit of happiness is a universal pursuit. Some look for happiness in material wealth. Others find it in human relationships. Still others would go for noble acts, acts of kindness. Some would seek happiness in their achievement, but everybody is on a pursuit of happiness. But the truth I discovered is this, that true happiness is rooted in God, that it actually goes beyond favourable circumstances. Because if our happiness is rooted in everything going well or going our way, then I think there'll be very few happy people around. Because the the, the fact is, every one of us face problems. Am I right? Hello, this service is very quiet. Yeah. Every one of us face tr- uh, problems. Everyone can, of us can go through difficult times. So if our happiness is all based on how things are going our way, there'll be very few happy people around. And even if your circumstances today are good, there is no guarantee that it will remain good tomorrow because we are simply not in control. But if we pursue happiness in what this temporal world has to offer, then life can be very disappointing. But if we pursue God and what God has to offer, not just in this life, but even beyond, I think that's where we find true satisfaction. How many of you will amen that? See, and and our happiness quotient, if I can put it that way, will escalate once we realize that Jesus came to offer us abundant life now and the fullness of it in eternity. So I'll put it this way. Happiness is not found by pursuing it. It is a byproduct of pursuing God. Okay, I'll say it one more time. It's so good. <laughs> I'll say it one more time. Happiness is not found by pursuing it, but it is the byproduct of pursuing God. And as we pursue God, one of, the, one of the benefits we get out of it is we discover a life of happiness. And that's what this entire series on the Beatitudes is all about. We are looking at God's formula for happiness. And we're gonna begin our journey this morning in Matthew chapter five, which is uh, what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, If you use one of those red letter Bible, you're gonna discover this is the part that has the most red letters. That means these are the words of Jesus. Okay, and it's one of his most well-known teaching. So I'm gonna invite you now to go with me to Matthew chapter five, which is the start of the Sermon on the Mount. And then I'll read for you the first portion which we traditionally call the Beatitudes. And this is an important portion because it, 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 it outlines for us the core values of the kingdom of God. So if you have your Bibles, you go with me now. I'll read for you the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter five. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and then he began to teach them. And this is what he said. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We bow and we have a word of prayer. Father, I pray that this morning you will take these words that are so familiar and you breathe life into it and let it become a word in season for all of us. Lord, we recognize that we are subjects of your new kingdom. And Lord, these are the core values of the kingdom that we need to live by. So I pray that your Holy Spirit will be here. Take the words spoken in simplicity, bring it to our hearts, and allow it to become a word for today. So come and speak as your servants heareth in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Now this is probably one of the most well-known teachings of Jesus. It is the nearest you get uh, to understand the core values of our Lord Jesus Christ. The late English Bible teacher John Stott uh, told us that the Sermon on the Mount actually outlines the core values that will create a Christian counterculture, that will give rise to an upside-down kingdom. See, and that's why the pietiches are so, it's so important because it is the the core values that actually help us to build a counterculture and it builds an upside down kingdom. Now, the context of it is that immediately after his baptism and, and wilderness experience, and we all read that in Matthew chapter 3, chapter 4, Jesus began to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom of God with these powerful words in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Jesus began his preaching ministry with these words, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And then the Sermon on the Mount must be seen in this context of the inauguration of the kingdom of God. That Jesus came to establish a new kingdom. And as he established this new kingdom, he began to inaugurate it. And this was like, the Sermon on the Mount was like his um, commencement speech, if you like. Uh, It was the manifesto of the kingdom, the Magna Carta of the kingdom, given by a spirit-filled king to his spirit-filled subjects. See, and it describes what the spirit-filled community should look like when it comes under the reign of King Jesus. You see, we have been talking about the the, the Holy Spirit over the last few months. But what is the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit? It's so that we can become subjects of the kingdom. Okay, we are spirit-filled subjects under the reign of a spirit-filled king and his name is Jesus. And you know what? This, the, 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 this spirit-filled community, it looks totally different from the world. That's why one of the key texts in the Sermon on the Mount must be Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, where Jesus said, do not be like them, referring to the world. And He's telling His subjects, don't be like the world. And that's why you find throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, there's a constant contrast between the standards of the world and the standards of the kingdom. And the Beatitudes actually paints a portrait of the Christian that is so culturally counter to the average man on the street. The average man on the street is self-centered, self-sufficient, and believe that he is self-made. And it is even counter-culture to the religious people of that time, including the scribes and the Pharisees. And what Jesus was inaugurating in the Sermon on the Mount was a, a kingdom so different that it is counterculture to everything that was going on at that time. And the people of God were asked to live a Christian life and uh, to live on a moral and ethical plane that is literally out of this world. It was out of this world, it was not like the world. And you know what, brothers and sisters? This is the kingdom that you and I belong to today. This is the kingdom we belong to. Our King Jesus is about to give us eight ingredients to a life of happiness that is commonly known as the Beatitudes. And today, and in the series that we have over the next eight weeks, um, unfortunately you're going to have to listen to my voice for the next eight weeks, Uh, we're going to unpack these core values one at a time and see how it applies to our life. And I totally believe that it is life transforming. It has been for me and I believe it will be for you. The first beatitude is Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, where Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. The character of the Christian begins here. This is the key to the rest of the beatitudes. If we miss this first one, we will never get down to the rest. This is the starting point, this is the door, this is the entry, and we need to understand this well. And Jesus begin by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed uh, in the Greek is the word makaros, which simply means happy. But any Greek scholar will tell you that the word happy, that translation happy is too sedated a word to actually express the strength that Jesus intended for this word. So a better translation would be blessed. And it really speaks of one who receives the favour of God. Hear me. We receive the favour of God outwardly and the harmony of God inwardly as we live according to the Beatitudes. It is a happiness that is rooted in living according to the core values of the kingdom of God. Okay, blessed. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The question I have for all of us, this afternoon is this. Are we poor in spirit? You know, in a nation that advocates self esteem, that promotes uh, self respect, and encourages independence, sometimes it's hard to remain poor in spirit. I don't know about you or us growing up, we have one pop song that I, I always hear on the radio. And the song is like a country and western song. It goes like this Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. When I'm perfect in every way, oh Lord, it's hard to be humble. And when you're getting better each day, you know. (laughs) know, It's hard to be humble when you actually think that you are perfect, when you actually think you're getting better every day. It's hard, you see. And what exactly does Jesus mean when He said, blessed are the poor in spirit? You know, firstly, you need to understand there are three concepts of poverty uh, in, in the Bible. Okay, and here are the three concepts. There's one level that says when you don't have enough, then you are lacking. Okay, so there's one level of poverty. When you don't have enough, so you're lacking. There's another concept when you have nothing, then you are now destitute. Okay, when you don't have enough, you're just lacking. But when you have nothing, you're in destitute. But when there's another level you can go, which is this, when you're in permanent debt. In other words, you are bankrupt. It's not just lacking, it's not just having nothing, but you're literally bankrupt. And brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's not just talking about us not having enough. He's not talking about us having nothing, but He's talking about us being in permanent debt. And that word poor that is used here in the Greek is the word uh, tuchos, which actually means poor to the point of having to beg. Bankrupt, in other words. There's another Greek word, uh, which is also translated as poor. But this word means poor to the point of having to work every day for your provision. In other words, hand to mouth. So that's one level of poverty. It means you're lacking, you're destitute. Therefore, every day you need to work in order to feed yourself, hand to mouth. But the one that Jesus is talking about here is beyond that. He's talking about bankruptcy, your impermanent debt. And what Jesus is saying to us is this, blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are spiritually desperate. I'm asking you today, brothers and sisters, are you, do you feel the desperation in your spirit? Do you feel the bankruptcy within your own soul? Do you realize that we are in permanent debt to God? That we can never, ever repay the Lord for what He did for us on the cross? I know we can talk about that, but do we sing about that, but do we actually feel it in our spirit? Do I actually know that I know I am impermanent debt to God, that apart from Him, I'm finished, I am spiritually bankrupt. You know so often we subtly, we, we entertain this thought in our heart, you know that I have done so much for God. You know, that I have served him all my life and, and then we, we, we but I, I want you to understand no matter what you do, no matter how you conduct yourself, ultimately we are spiritually bankrupt before God. And, and we need to understand that even the best of our service is nothing compared to what Jesus did for us on the cross. If we think that what we have and who we are is so, you know, so alluring to God, then we will end up like the little boy that just did his business in his potty, and then after that he leave his potty to God and say, "Look what I've done." All of our righteousness are like filthy rags before Him. That's the reality. That is our reality. We are spiritually bankrupt. Have you ever heard the story about this woodpecker? He was packing at a tree one day, pack, 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 and all of a sudden it was a Flash of lightning across the sky, and that lightning hit the tree, and the whole tree broke into two. That woodpecker managed to fly off just in time. Then he looked back, he saw the broken tree, and he said, Whoa, look what I've done. (laughs) Then you are totally disillusioned. You are living under an illusion to think that what we are, what we have done, is so much, it means so much. No, 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 no. At the end of the day, we need to recognize that within ourselves, we are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt to the people who recognize that. Blessed are you, because then yours is the kingdom of heaven. You look at that, and in total contrast, you look at the heart posture of the Apostle Paul. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, listen to what Paul wrote here. Paul said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them dung that I may gain Christ. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. How many of you know the Apostle Paul actually had everything going for him? He had a good family background. He had good theological education. You know, he was... He had good career prospect. He was going to become the next happening rabbi in Jerusalem. He had a great religious upbringing. But then he said, I consider them rubbish. I consider them dunk that I may gain Christ. He calls himself the worst of sinners. That's poverty in spirit. Poverty in spirit. And Paul recognized that, do we? I like what Jesus, the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18 about two men that went to the temple to pray. Remember that story? One of them, he said, was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law. So what did this guy do? He went to the temple, stand in front of all the people, and he began to pray. He talked about all the things that he has done. And I tell you this, the Bible actually said, he prayed very fervently before the people, but the Bible actually said he prayed to himself. He wasn't praying to God, he was praying to himself. His, why? Because his prayer was all about himself. If I can paraphrase what he prayed, he prayed this, God, I thank you that I'm not like this other man. They are robbers, tax collectors, evildoers, you know, but I fast twice a week, give 10% of all my money to, to God, amen. And then Jesus actually said he wasn't really praying. He was reading his spiritual resume to God telling God all the wonderful things he has done. But what about the other man? The other man was a tax collector. He was um, um, someone that appointed by the Roman oppressors to extort money from his own people. And that is why the Jewish people always hate the tax collectors. To this guy, nobody likes him. He walks into the church, he sits at the back, he hangs his head, he beats his chest, and then he cries out to God, God have mercy on me, a sinner. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said he went home that day a forgiven man. The poor in spirit are those who recognize that within themselves, they are spiritually bankrupt. I can imagine, you know, this tax collector going home that night. And then when he stepped into his house, the wife asked him, so where have you been today? And he replied, oh, I, I was in church. And his wife said, huh? Are you not extorting the pastor also? He said, no, 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 I went there to pray. And then the the wife said, you praying? You mean God will even listen to your prayer? And this tax collector replied, yes, he did. In fact, I'm now a forgiven man. That's the power of brokenness. That's the power of bankruptcy in spirit. Amazing, isn't it? You ask, why did God favour a tax collector instead of the religious Pharisee? I tell you why, because one is poor in spirit, the other one is proud at heart. One knew that he, need, he was bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, the other one thought he was alright. One thing that he, he needed mercy, the other one just wanted some merits, that's all he was after. How often do we actually hear someone praying for mercy? How, many, how, how often do we realize that we are in need of God's mercy? That before God, all of us are beggars, we are spiritually bankrupt, and we can never ever repay the Lord. I've come to this conclusion, I have nothing, I owe nothing, I deserve nothing, I ask for nothing. And that's why you know, the hymnist wrote, you know, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. Naked came I, come to thee for dress helpless look to thee for grace foul i to the fountain fly wash me savior or i die that's spiritual bankruptcy that's brokenness but hear me before you misunderstand me listen carefully being poor in spirit is not self condemnation or unhealthy guilt it's not it is when our spiritual eyes are actually open and then we realize the darkness of our own heart apart from the grace of God. That's what poverty in spirit means. It's not self-condemnation, it's not unhealthy guilt, it's a realization that apart from God, apart from His grace, I'm in darkness. Poor in spirit is not a sense of inferiority, but rather it is recognizing that I am spiritually bankrupt, but in Christ, I have been made spiritually rich. Poor in spirit is when I know the truth about myself, how selfish I am, how selfish, how self-centered I can be, but yet I know God loves me just the same because I have a new identity in Him. Poor in Christ is when I stand naked before God with nothing to prove, nothing to lose, and nothing to hide. It is knowing my place and staying there. Poor in spirit is when I realize deep inside that only by the grace of God, I can even stand before Him. Are you with me? That's poverty in spirit. Poor in spirit is knowing myself, accepting myself, and being yourself for the glory of God. Because you accept yourself, you'll be able to accept others. That's poverty in spirit. Poor in spirit is knowing my own strengths, but at the same time, recognizing my own weaknesses. You see, being authentic about who I am and thinking soberly about myself, not thinking more highly of myself than I ought, that's poverty of spirit. Having poverty of spirit means I don't have to be right all the time. Poverty of spirit is recognizing that I don't know everything. I am not right all the time. You know, you you probably sit here and you listen to my sermon, you already have a few points you don't agree. But poverty of spirit is what caused you not to say, huh, I don't agree with what you teach. There's no point listening. I write him off, then you take out your phone and you start serving the internet. That's not poverty of spirit. Poverty of spirit is the ability to, even if we disagree, we listen to one another. That's poverty of spirit. To, to even in the worst person in this room, I can learn something from that person. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it behooves the best of us to talk about the rest of us. You've know, you got to have that spirit where we recognize that even in the worst person in this room, there's some good in the best person in this room, there are some flaws. And we recognize that it's only by the grace of God that I am who I am. And not to have this mentality just because I don't agree with you, What do I do? I cancel you out. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. Then what are we doing? We are importing the ways of the world into the church. But we learn to listen, learn to respect. See, who am I? Who are you? We are nothing except by the grace of God. Then we can declare with the Apostle Paul, you know, I am who I am by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor, in spirit those who recognize their own spiritual poverty for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that word kingdom is the greek word basilia which actually means rule and reign so the kingdom of god is actually the rule and reign of god when our heart posture brothers and sisters is one where we recognize our own spiritual bankruptcy and then we come to the lord in total dependence there God's rule and reign can be established, then the kingdom of God can come. See, when I recognize that in myself there is nothing and I come in total dependence upon God, that is where God can begin to reign over me. Am I correct? And that's where the kingdom of God can come, in each one of us. When you and I are poor in spirit, God in turn will give us a kingdom and we can begin to rule and reign with Him in life. Now here's my prophetic burden that I have for you as I prepare this message this morning. When it comes to brokenness, when it comes to humility, the Apostle Paul has been my model. And I'll tell you why, because when I trace the life of the Apostle Paul, I know that he's not by nature a humble person. I mean, He's probably a high D, fiercely type A, uh, you know, very domineering kind of person, which is why he could end up persecuting the church, you know, before he come to Christ, am I right? There's a drive in him, there's a certain strength in him. And I think he's not a naturally meek and humble person, but I watch how he grow in brokenness over the course of his ministry. If you know the ministry of the Apostle Paul, you know that when he first started out in ministry, uh, he faced a lot of opposition, especially from the teachers of the law. He faced a lot of opposition from those who wanted to preach the law, and the Bible tells us that. Uh, say you read Second Corinthians, it's where the Apostle Paul needed to defend his own apostleship. There were false apostles that come into the church, and they teach that what Paul teaches is not totally, not not complete. They they say that yes, you need you need. Jesus, but on top of that, you need to be circumcised, you need to, you know, follow the laws, etc. And so Paul had to defend himself, and they even cast doubt on his apostleship. So you find in Second Corinthians, he keeps defending his apostleship. So listen to what happened in AD forty-nine. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 2, verse 6. It was the start of his ministry. And listen to what uh, Paul said. He says, as for those who seem so important, and he's referring to all these false apostles, he said, you know, whatever they were makes no difference to me. In short, uh, he is saying that I don't care about them. They can say whatever they want, they can do whatever they want, but they are nothing to me. In other words, he was cancelling them out. And in this case, I think it's valid because he was dealing with heresy down here. And so he said, I don't care what they say. They are nothing to me. I don't have to defend myself too much uh, when it comes to them. That was in AD 49. He says, I don't care about them. They are nothing to me. And then six years later, in AD 55, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 now. He said, I am the least of the apostles. Before that, he said, I'm an apostle. I don't care what all these false apostles say. Now he says, I am the least of the apostles. And then came Another five years. And now in AD 60, Paul began to write the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8, he now said, I am less than the least of all God's people. That's another level down. And then another five, six years later in AD 65, Paul wrote 1 Timothy. This was one of his last epistles written uh, from prison. And in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Paul described himself this way. He said, I am the worst of all sinners. What did you notice? What did you see? You know, from I don't care, to I am the least of all the apostles, to I am less than the least of God's people, to I am the worst of all sinners. So what do you see here? i tell you what, you what I see, what I saw was this. The more mature the Apostle Paul became, the more experienced he was, the longer he walked with his God, the humbler he became. He became more and more humble because he recognised brokenness of spirit. I look at the Apostle Paul and I said, Lord, this has become my prayer. This has become my life goal. My life goal as a, as a, as a pastor is not to build the biggest church or the most powerful ministry. I want to become more and more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Christ's likeness, brothers and sisters, must be the end goal of our discipleship. And may God help us to model vulnerability, embrace brokenness, and grow in humility until we can truly declare that the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave Himself for me. This, brothers and sisters, is the pinnacle of the Christian faith. The pinnacle of the Christian faith is to be like Jesus. I want to be who Jesus is. I want to do what Jesus did. I want to get to become like Him in His personhood and in His power. God help us. And brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this. The posture of our heart is greater than the performance of our hands. And God look at us, before He even look at what we do, He look at who we are, and the posture of our heart is more important than the performance of our hands. You take care of the depth of your own life, God will take care of the breadth of your ministry. You see, and you know when I was preparing for this topic, so, I was preparing to speak to you uh, on this topic. You know, I thought to myself when I started the preparation, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I thought to myself, you know, um, I think I should be quite comfortable to speak on this topic because I think I'm quite humble and uh, I'm quite broken. That's what most of my friends tell me anyway. So, I think I'm, I should be good. I, I should be able to speak on this topic with some authority. Now, never forget that morning preparing the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I heard the Lord spoke to me and he said this, you know, he said, no, you're not. You are becoming proud of your humility. And all of a sudden I know, you know, I, I saw, that I discovered at that moment that this monster of pride is still lurking in some dark corners of my heart. I remember saying to the Lord at that point, "I said, Lord, I'm so sorry. I failed, you know, which helped me to humble myself. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me and said this to me. I never forget that. He said, You know, this thought came to me. The key to humility, brothers and sisters, is not focusing on your failures and your sin, it is focusing on the goodness of God. The key to humility is not focusing on our sins and our failures, but it is focusing on the goodness of God. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where the Apostle Paul says, But do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's goodness is intended to lead you to repentance? It is God's kindness, God's grace, that actually leads us to Repentance. Now, please understand, it is nothing wrong with self-examination. In fact, we need to take that inward journey to recognize our own brokenness, to recognize our own sinfulness. But ultimately, we must look to Christ. I take that inward journey, I recognize the darkness within my own soul, but I cannot stay there. You, you, You go to the bottom not to stay there. It's so that you can look up And when you see the goodness of God, it is what draws us to repentance. You see, there is, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we realize how insignificant we are. Isn't that true? It's not by looking at my own, Failures all the time, and look at my sin all the time. But it's by recognizing how good my God is that despite my brokenness, God still accepts me as I am, God still loves me as I am, and it breaks us. It causes us to realize, you know, how insignificant we really are. We are humbled not because we focus on our failures, but because we see the greatness of our God. And this is what happened to the Apostle Peter. In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 8, if you go read that incident, what happened was this, Peter and his crew, remember? And they they were spending a whole night fishing. Then they caught zero, nothing. They caught nothing through the whole night. You know, how many of you agree for a seasoned fisherman, that is ultimate failure. You spend a whole night, you caught zero. And then when he came back to shore, in all of his discouragement, Jesus turned to him and said in Luke chapter 5 verse 4, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And then Peter actually responded in verse 5, he says, Master, we work hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, I've been there, done that, you know, there's nothing. But because you say so, okay, I give you faith, I will let down the net. And that's what he did. And then you know what happened next, right? What happened next was they caught so many fish that the whole boat almost began to sink they need other men to come and help them bring in the haul, and then this was like from total failure to massive success because of the goodness of god but my question is this what did this do to peter i'll tell you what happened to peter in verse Luke chapter 5 verse 8 when simon peter saw this what happened to him? He fell at Jesus' feet, knees, and then he, he fell on his knees, and then he said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. The goodness of God caused Peter to recognize how insignificant he is. And the goodness of God actually broke him. It humbled him, and it made Peter realize he was unworthy of such grace. It was not a night of failure that brought Peter to his knees. It was actually the grace and the goodness of God. And the grace and the goodness of God leads us to repentance. You know, every time I walk by this building, every time I come into this building, I am humbled by what God has done. There's nothing we can do that could ever see this come to pass. It is only the goodness of God, the grace of God. And it don't make me proud. It actually makes me humbled. I begin to see you know, how humbling it is to recognize that we have a God who despite our brokenness, would actually bless us. Brothers and sisters, if you really want to grow in humility and brokenness, take your eyes off yourself, look to Jesus. Take your eyes off, your, off ourselves, look to Jesus. Remember that old song we used to sing? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And all the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. I want to end with this awesome verse that I think is a theological anchor for brokenness, for humility. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. You know, Jesus was poor physically on that cross. He had zero, nothing. On that cross, He was poor spiritually because He took on all the sins of this world upon Himself. On that cross, He was poor physically and spiritually. For what? For you and for me. He became poor so that we may become rich in Him. He was broken so that we can be blessed. His pain became our gain. And this is the theological anchor for a walk of humility and brokenness, yet with a sense of honour and boldness. See, and it is a profound recognition that within us, We have nothing, we are spiritually bankrupt. But now in Christ, we can have everything. And the starting point is a brokenness in our spirit. Blessed are the spiritually bankrupt, for theirs is the rule and reign of God. Amen. That's who our God is. Thank you, Lord. Would you stand with me this morning? Stand with me, brothers and sisters. I'd like you to just take a few moments this morning. No need to rush, but but we allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God we sang about a war that needs to come down. And you know what? I think one of the biggest wars that actually stopped us from stepping into our destiny is our own pride. It's our own ego. It's this thought that I'm good. I'm alright. But it's only when we recognise within ourselves we have nothing. We are spiritually bankrupt. That is when God's rule and reign can be established in our life. And it is not by focusing on our sin and our our failures all the time, but it is by looking to Jesus, looking to the greatness of our God. And this morning, we turn our eyes to Him. And then we let God come and speak to us. I thought I was a humble man. I thought that I, I don't struggle with pride, but... But in the course of preparing for this, I realised in the dark corners of my own heart, there is that ego there, there is that pride there. I need to dethrone that pride. You know what brokenness is? Brokenness is when pride falls off the throne of our heart. That's what brokenness is, when pride falls off the throne of our heart. And we say, God, I recognise I'm spiritually bankrupt no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how knowledgeable you are, we are broken, if not for God, if not for His grace. So let's turn our eyes towards Jesus. In a few moments, I want you to do business with the Lord. It's not so much that people can come and pray for you, but it's more for us to dethrone pride from our own life. And then we say, God, I, you know, sometimes a lot of our relationship fractures a lot of the issues we go through whether in our workplace at home it is rooted in one thing our own pride if we would dethrone pride we will find reconciliation if we can dethrone pride we can work things out but until that happens nothing happens so may god come and deal with us turn your eyes upon jesus thank you lord